Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Kelly Moore, CJOB Sports Director of the big news of the day. Pierre-Luc Dubois is gone. He's off to L.A. Three players and a pick coming back. What do we think of it? Plus, Gavin Ziv with Tennis Canada talks about the future plans of making prize money equal for women and men at their event and tennis events around the world. That's all coming up on the podcast. But the news of the day, Pierre-Luc Dubois is gone. He's no longer a Winnipeg Jet. The news that we had been anticipating for days. We've heard for many days now that the Kings were the team that were engaging most strongly after what we thought so long would be a Montreal destination for Dubois, but it didn't really line up. They didn't really have enough to offer. So it goes to the Kings. Dubois signs an eight-year deal worth $8.5 million per season prior to the trade. That's how the technicality of this works because you could only sign a seven-year with another team. You could sign an eight with your own team. So he signs that, gets traded to the LA Kings. Alex Ayafalo, Rasmus Kupari, Gabriel Velarde, second-round pick from the LA Kings come over in exchange for Pierre-Luc Dubois. It is a deal that the Jets seem to do well in. Ayafalo played 59 games last year at 36 points and is a versatile player, can move up and down the second, third line area, strong defensively. Uh, from what I've read, he's a guy that made his line better wherever he went. Velarde, the kind of centerpiece of this deal, 23-year-old, turning 24 later on this summer. He's had some injury problems in his career, but was healthy this past year and had a, a breakout campaign, safe to say, with 23 goals and also added four goal, four points in five playoff games. Kupari, he was a first-round pick in 2018, hasn't done a lot in the NHL. Pretty solid AHL player so far, but again, just 23. There's time for him. Uh, he is an RFA. Velarde's an RFA. Ifalo has two years left at $4 million per season. They also get a second-round pick that was originally Montreal's that went to Arizona and then went to L.A. and is now in the possession of the Winnipeg Jets. Kelly Moore is the sports director for CJOB. He is the host of Jets Hockey on CJOB. Kelly, this has been something that the the Jets have been working on for quite some time. You're, we've, we, I mean, we've both been on the air a lot today talking about it already, but uh, my gut reaction was this is pretty solid. What was your gut reaction? Yeah, I thought uh, under the circumstances, Christian, it's probably uh, about the best that uh, Kevin Cheveldayoff could have done. And, and who knows, maybe it might even exceed uh, what uh, we would expect from him. But uh, uh, certainly, uh, you know, I would say Gabriel Velarde would be uh, the number one piece to all of this. Uh, you mentioned, you know, that he has had some injury issues. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's 6'3", 215, skates really well. And, you know, scored more goals last year in uh, the... Uh, uh, 50 or 63 games rather that he was able to suit up for uh, scored more goals than the 18 that he had in parts of three previous seasons with the Los Angeles Kings. So is that an outlier or is that a, you know, a sign of the trajectory to come? And I'm sure the Winnipeg Jets have enough video on him to believe that uh, uh, Velarde would be the guy uh, that, uh, that they think he will be. Alex, I follow everything I have uh, read about him. Christian 
makes him sound like the ultimate team guy. I know Todd McClellan just raved about his practice habits, his leadership abilities, uh, just a real good, solid, all-around dude. Uh, you know, he's going to be 30 by the time the hockey season gets rolling. Uh, uh, well, I think it's his birthday's in December, so he turns 30 then. Is not going to light the world on fire. Just looking at his stats, Christian, and, and you know, some of the things I've uh, heard and read about him, uh, you kind of wonder if the Jets have uh, maybe picked up another Adam Lowry for the dressing room. And versatility as well is, is one thing I mentioned there too. And and from the from the analytical point of view that I've seen today, these are all three players that have done well defensively in their time in the NHL. Velarde, obviously the biggest offensive upside and still kind of early on Kupari to say what he's going to be. But the, it feels to me players that would serve a Rick Bonus defensive structure well. Yeah, and and that's exactly it. And, you know, one of the goals for the Jets is to become a, a harder team to play against. And not that Pierre-Luc Dubois is any walk in the park. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I just have recollections of, of Los Angeles coming at the Jets in waves, uh, both in that shootout game here where Andre Carp- uh, Kopitar rather put on a, a show, uh, but especially that game in Los Angeles uh, late in the year. You know, we were thinking maybe the Kings might be a team that the Jets could wind up crossing paths with in the playoffs. And they just could not keep up with L.A. And, of course, you know, Velarde and uh, Iafalo and, and Kupari were all a part of that. So, uh, you know, they, they all skate re- really well. Uh, they all play in all three zones. Uh, so, yes, while the Jets are probably giving up uh, a little bit offensively, I would think. I mean, we'll wait and see how Velarde develops. Uh, but uh, maybe in the all-around uh, realm of things, uh, Christian, it makes them deeper. And, and let's face it. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I think the Jets were trying to accomplish from this trade. And so that's one name off the to-do list for Kevin Shevel day off. Uh, obviously, the draft tomorrow is of principal focus now with the, the 18th pick that they have at the moment. Uh, but there's still the others, whether it's Blake Wheeler, uh, who's a buyout candidate. There's Mark Shifley and, and Connor Hellebuck as well, whose names have been mentioned as they are uh, down to one year left on their deals. What does your gut tell you about what's going to happen? Not with Wheeler, because I think we know what's going to happen there, but with Hellebuck and Shifley. I I would have to think right now that if Connor Hellebuck was going to have been traded, you'd, you'd think that there'd at least be, you know, the same kind of rumors that would be heating up that we've been hearing about uh, leading up to today's deal uh, for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And it was really interesting the way that Hellebuck handled his media availability yesterday uh, in the lead up to the award show where, you know, I mean, he basically said, if I'm in Winnipeg, I'm playing hard for the Jets, just like I always have. So in the back of his mind, I think he has to look at that as uh, certainly uh, uh, a possibility. And other than we in the media and, you know, the, 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 the many, many disenchanted fans uh, in, in Winnipeg, uh, that have been vocal about it. That they're the only ones that have talked about Mark Shifley. There's been nothing from the Shifley camp at all. Nope. So I'm I'm wondering, Christian, if uh, well, you asked me for my gut feeling. If I had to bet money, I would say both of those players will start the year in Winnipeg. Uh, I 
clearly they uh, the Jets will make a deal for them by the March 1st deadline uh, before they'd let either one of them walk into unrestricted free agency. Uh, you know, so I, I wouldn't anticipate an extension being signed uh, by Connor Hellebuck before the start of training camp, uh, but maybe Mark Shifley. I don't know that you could rule that out entirely. No, I don't think so either. My gut says the same thing, but at the same time, just because we haven't heard anything doesn't mean something's going not going to happen, right? right? Because yeah. Yeah. The, this was obvious. This was public. The Pierre-Luc Dubois storyline did not come out of nowhere. It had been kind of bubbling for over a year, right? Whereas the Mark Shifley thing, you know, he had his comments at the end of last season, started this season with all the words he said, uh, raving about Rick Bonus and this structure and, and just seems so happy to have him as his head coach. And then, you know, things happen over the course of his season. But it, as the team is constructed today with Velarde and Ayafalo in there and Kapari as well, I guess, as a, as a depth option, where do you see those players slotting in with what the Jets have on the books at the moment? Well, you know, I started to think about that a little bit. And I don't know how you can slot those players in uh, without Mark Shifley or at least a number one caliber setter being a part of it. What I'm really interested in, and uh, uh, we should be hearing from Kevin Day off uh, during your show, uh, Christian. Uh, he uh, spoke with Jamie Thomas from Jets TV a little while ago in Nashville, and uh, Jamie's endeavoring to send that uh, audio our way. So we'll try to have that prepared for you for the show. Uh, but I, I wonder if there's any thought on the Jets to put Velarde in the middle behind Shifley, uh, you know, and then in, does it start the way that it began last year? Wasn't it Shifley between Connor and Ehlers on that number one rock and roll line? Yeah. And it all kind of fell apart in game number two. So, you know, if that was the case, uh, then, uh, you know, uh, I follow, uh, I rather Velarde and I'm not sure who slots into the right side on the second line, maybe Cole Perfetti. Uh, you know, and then you could keep your third line intact, uh, or you put Nino Niederreiter on the left side, and you have Iafalo play with Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton, drop Morgan Barron down to the fourth line with Kupari, and slot in someone to play on the right side there. So, uh, you know, if, if you're asking me for, you know, a few hours after this deal, uh, I'm probably inclined to say Connor Shifley Ehlers. Uh, and then Niederreiter, Velarde, Perfetti, uh, Ayafalo, Lowry, Appleton, uh, Baron, Kupari, and whoever wins the battle for fourth line right, right side. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. And then you know, but that's that's my yeah, that's my thinking. You that's know? okay. That's what that's what yeah. I'm asking you. You're on the show. Yeah. I'm asking what you're thinking. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I well, mean, uh, the coach will probably have much different. Of ideas. course. But, you know, you look at what happened this past year and look ahead to next year, and obviously so much can still change in the next hours and, and days and weeks ahead. But the defense, we haven't heard anything about the defense, right? It's all been about the forwards and a possible goaltending change. But do you feel like the players that played on the blue line last year are going to be good enough to run it back for next year? Well, again, uh, a lot of it uh, is circumstantial. Uh, if you're going to make changes, you have to make changes with the idea of being better. So, you know, there clearly you, you've got to take a look at Billy Hanela and Declan Chisholm 
And Declan Chisholm, you know, can't clear waivers anymore. So you could run into the same type of scenario that you did with Johnny Kovacevic when, uh, you know, he uh, was uh, made available to Montreal, snapped them up. I don't know that Chisholm would uh, get through waivers either. So with Kyle Capobianco now being on the second and final year of his deal, uh, you know, is there maybe not the as much of a, uh, a leaning towards uh, keeping him in the mix of things if Hainola and Chisholm are able to show something, uh, you know, during the preseason. And, and I just wonder, uh, you know, with Logan Stanley, uh, you know, of course it came out uh, uh, late in the year that he had asked uh, for a trade. It did not happen at the deadline and he, you know, continued to uh, perform like the good soldier that he is. But uh, I, I just wonder with all of this, you know, with all of this still uh, on the horizon, Christian, if, uh, you know, we see a little bit more, uh, you know, I know everybody is is pretty much set on Blake Wheeler being bought out. Part of the narrative was he had to be bought, bought out in order to make this Pierre-Luc Dubois trade go. Well, clearly that wasn't the case because the trade's been completed and Blake Wheeler essentially uh, is still a member of the Winnipeg Jets. And, and nothing has to happen until Friday uh, with him. But I wonder, you know, do you use, uh, you know, somebody... Uh, like a Logan Stanley as a sweetener uh, in a uh, in a Blake Wheeler uh, type of deal. I don't know if those conversations are happening, but you know you'd have to think that uh, you know if if you're going to give Hanola and Chisholm a chance to to try to upgrade this defense, maybe that's you know one of the ways that you do it. Should be very interesting to follow. Kelly, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this, and we'll see you for our draft coverage tomorrow. Let's talk tennis, shall we? Wimbledon coming up soon, but the big news today in the world of tennis, the women's tour, the WTA, revealing plans for a revamped circuit structure, outlining ambitious goals and a pathway to equal prize money. In alignment with the WTA's 50th anniversary, the 10-year plan places emphasis on the sustainable implementation of prize money, equal to that which is offered at ATP tournaments. The revised calendar will expand the number of 1,000-level tournaments, which is the most prestigious level outside of the Grand Slams and the year-end finals, to 10, with plans to make seven two-week tournaments, including the Canadian Open, starting in four years. The National Bank Open's WTA prize money projected to rise from roughly 32% of the ATP prize money in a two-week format, which is awful, to nearly 60% by 2025 when both events expand to 12-day formats, 78% in 2026, and 100% in 2027. The total WTA prize money will be close to $10 million U.S. starting in 2027. That's a 350% increase in just over four years. And some people will make the argument, well, men should get more because they play best of five at majors. Yeah, but they don't at every other tournament. It's best of three for both. All of, They're all playing the same amount of tennis. They should be paid the same. And here to chat about all this is Gavin Ziv, Chief Tournaments Officer at Tennis Canada and board member of WTA Ventures. And Gavin, how big a development for tennis is this news today? Yeah, today is a historic day for uh, tennis fans all around the world, for women's tennis, for Canadian tennis fans. Uh, We're announcing that um, over the next five years, Tennis Canada will achieve equal prize money at our big events, the National Bank Open presented by Rogers in both Toronto and Montreal starting in 2027. Um, This is part of a tennis ecosystem with the Women's Tennis Association, the WTA, who has created a new structure for all of its events, starting with the 1,000 events like we have here in Canada, 
to become bigger events starting in 2025. We'll go from seven days to a 12-day main draw event with more players, uh, and all the top players will be at our events, which is showcasing the, the greatness of the sport of women's tennis um, and making it more attractive and accessible to all tennis fans from coast to coast. This is something that we've seen in, in major events over the last number of years, the equalization of money, though we have not seen it as much at the uh, lower-level tour stops. So this is something that is, is, I'm sure, being received very well today. Yes, and this is a historic day. The WTA was founded 50 years ago by Billie Jean King and the original nine who created and formed the WTA on the values of equity and uh, equal pay. Um, so it's been a long road to get to this point. Uh, yes, the Grand Slams have achieved equal prize money for independent events, but those on the WTA Tour, those 50 events, now have a pathway to achieve equal prize money as well and, and join the rest of the tennis ecosystem. Now, part of this is also the extension of the event, is it not, where a, a lot of these that, uh, WTA 1000 events are being, or they're going to be longer, they're going to be two-week events. Yeah, that's the great news for tennis fans in Canada. Our event, which is a seven-day main draw event, will go to 12 days. The number of tennis players increases. So we have a 56 singles draw, which now becomes 96 players. So you have the top 100 players in the world who will now be playing here. With 12 days, it's actually a slightly better schedule. The players play every second day as opposed to every day, which is what they do right now, which is way healthier for them. It's a better schedule. And for our tennis fans, you can now know who's playing two days in advance, which you've never had before either. So, you know, more tennis being played, more players, the top players, because it's mandatory for all top players to be there, um, and the exposure for Canadian tennis, right? This will be on broadcast from coast to coast for all fans to watch, for which, is, which is now a bigger and better event. So with increased prize money then, where does that money come from? So this is a system we have worked with the WTA as part of all the tournaments and this restructuring of making the bigger events bigger. So what they have done is created a commercial company which will now take all of our international rights on things like broadcast, um, streaming, data, merchandising, sponsorship. Uh, all those 50 tournaments will pull together and they'll sell that and do hopefully a better job of selling it than what we had in the past, which will create some revenue distributions for those tournaments. But that doesn't cover all of it. So the tournaments themselves have to find ways to try and make more money to cover the increases in prize money. And that can be done with things like what we're doing, expanding our events and trying to create more revenue uh, by going from 7 to 12 days. Um, Plus, we have great corporate partners like National Bank who have been so committed to trying to achieve this pay equity in our partnerships. And they've really stepped up to make that financially possible for us. So that's all really great news uh, for our event and how we're able to do it over the next number of years. And the idea of really setting this on track in 2025 is because the Olympics are next year? Yeah, so so by going to the expanded model, uh, it was achievable in 2025. In 2024, with the uh, Olympic tennis, we lose a week in the summertime, so it wasn't possible. On those years when we do the Olympics, depending on the schedule, we likely will be a seven- or eight-day event on those in-between years. Um, unfortunately, but it was part of the way the system works uh, for every four years with the Olympic tennis. Okay. Well, that makes sense though. I mean, there's just the, the, the whole summer calendar changes because the, there's two weeks in there where the Olympics are happening. So that makes sense, right? That's exactly it. You know, you, you basically lose two weeks of the summer between uh, Wimbledon and the U S open, which kind of affects us and our partners in Cincinnati who will be doing the same format with us back to back. 
So we'll just have to kind of, uh, you know, improvise and we'll learn along the way as well. Um, but regardless, you still will have the commitment of the top players, um, you know, to be at that event. So the, the, the level of play will be excellent. And in, in terms of where the Canadian Open sits in the in the tennis rota, you do get a lot of big names, but you don't necessarily get all of them. You, but it, it's been a big event. You usually get most of the big names, no? Yeah, we actually have a really good spot on the calendar. Um, so with us at being a 1,000-level event, so the most prize money and the most points uh, on those tours, um, with our friends in Cincinnati the week after us, because they have the same format, we're kind of that middle stop between Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. The players take some time off after Wimbledon. They come to our events. They get ready. They're in good shape. They make some good money. They get lots of practice on a tennis surface that is identical to what they play at the U.S. Open uh, a few weeks later. So we're kind of uh, that in-between stop that works really well for them. So we do attract the best names. On the men's tour, the way the format works is it's mandatory for those top 50 players to all play our event. On our women's tour currently, we get seven of the top 10 players. So in this new format, we'll also now get the top 50 players on the women's tour. And that should only do wonders for attendance, right? That's that's exactly what you want, right? You want to make sure you have the best talent there. And uh, I just think also with that format around the world, you'll be able to tell a better story for the WTA, right? So for all of our events that have that mandatory play now, you'll see the bigger events get bigger and the top players play each other more often, creating those rivalries, which works so well on tennis. And hopefully more consistency and better marketing than for the WTA and the popularity of women's tennis. Now, even though it's got that expanded field, you're still going to have lots of spots for Canadian players at this tournament, right? It actually helps us. Uh, you know, with expanded draws comes expanded wildcard opportunities for some of our developing players that aren't able to access the entries into the top 100. So, um, you know, we'll have our top Canadian players there that aren't able to get entry on their own. And then the wild cards for those who are developmental and hopefully the future for Canadian tennis. So we'll get opportunities to play in a bigger event that they probably haven't played for in the past. And how long has this been in the works for? <laughs> well, considering the WTA was uh, 50 years old this year, I think it's been a long road. Um, I, you know, I remember discussions, very detailed discussions with the WTA back in 2015 and 2016 when they tried to get this across the line. It didn't work back then. And then, of course, COVID got in the way. So, um, you, know, you know, Tennis Canada has been working with the tours on these ideas for over a decade. But I'm sure the pathway goes way before my time. And so looking ahead to this summer's event, then, what are we expecting in terms of uh, top players? Do we know yet? Yeah. So uh, on the men's side, um, you know, it, it is a mandatory event for the top players, for the top 50. So that, that's a bit of an easier format. On the women's side, great discussions with all those top players to make sure that they will be here. It's looking very promising. We'll be announcing our player list for our, our men on July 12th and our women on July 13th. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be visiting the players in Wimbledon to make sure that they're ready to go and if there's anything else they need for their stay in Toronto or Montreal, that we can take care of for them. So those discussions are happening now. Perfect. Uh, and yeah. if I could ask you who you think is going to win Wimbledon? <laughs> well... You know, uh, it, it's a great time for, for grass tennis, right? It's so different than the clay that just happened at Roland Garros. Uh, historically, that's been a better opportunity for our Canadian players. Of course, we've had uh, Milos and Jeannie being in the finals of, uh, of that, and we've had doubles uh, people win the Wimbledon with Dabrowski and Vashik and, of course, Daniel Nestor. So I'm always cheering for the Canadians. Um, I'm hoping this is a, a, a great uh, comeback maybe for Milos. Let's see how he does coming back from recovery. Dennis and Felix are, are always in the mix there. Uh, and let's see, 
Bianca, Layla, let's see how they're doing. Maybe an opportunity there for Canadian on both sides to win the trophy. Well, Gavin, appreciate your time on this. Thanks for this, and uh, best of luck with everything going forward. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk uh, tennis. That's great. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all that they should. So sad that they should come to this. We try to